knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites. In the corner. He's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi and welcome to Theology Gals. Angela Whitehorn is my co-host and this week we have Hannah Anderson with us and I know a lot of our listeners are familiar with you, Hannah. You've written books like Humble Roots and Made for More and today we're going to talk about your book on discernment, All That's Good. So we're really excited to have you here. Now, did I have I have you written more books than the ones I listed? Those are just uh, no, no, and I probably wrote more than I should. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell my husband that you know God providentially bought opportunities for me to write probably before I thought I was ready, and sometimes I think, what were you doing? Why why did you do this this way? But no, it's those three books. So, but they've kept me very busy the last few week, uh, last few years. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, I have a couple of friends who've published books in the last few years, and wow, it's been such a, really opened my eyes to how much goes into it. You don't just write the book and send it to the publisher and it's printed. You know, all the edits, and it's just a really long process, so Mm -hmm. I know it's a lot of work, even just writing that, all of that. It is, and I wouldn't do it unless I felt like I had no other choice. I I really feel like, you know, God works in our lives, and he sets us up um, to do the things he's called us to, and then he basically says, okay, now take a step of faith and move into this, and I feel like that's been the case with my writing and with the books over the last few years, and it's really not something I anticipated ever doing, Um, and I don't know that I would do if I wasn't confident that God had this, this calling for me. And it was the kind of thing that his providence made so clear that I almost came to a point where I felt like it would be disobedient not to step into it. But writing books and um, doing it as I have over the last few years is definitely a kind of where angels fear to tread sort of thing. And even (laughs) writing this last book on discernment, I found myself like looking back at the other things I'd written and sometimes cringing and saying, oh, I probably should have worded that differently or, oh no, now it's in print and it's being disseminated all over the place. Um, And so, yeah, it's it's been those three books made for more, um, Humble Roots and Now All That's Good. And it's really just been um, 
a wild ride that God's taken me on. And I feel like um, he has ordained and also, um, you know, cared for over the last few years. So tell us about this this new book. I actually realized when I was preparing for this episode that we've this is the third time that we've kind of done an episode on discernment, but each time it's really approached it differently. So even your book is different than other books on discernment. But tell us about this book. Well, this book is about discernment, as you mentioned, and um, it really grew out of my um, sense of concern about the world we lived in and how Christians were um, flooded with more information than we've ever had in our lives. We've had access to more ideas, more voices, more um, sources of influence because of the digital age, but I'm not so sure that we're equipped and capable to sort through it. Um, I tell people, I don't think that we are uniquely gullible, but we exist in a time where there are unique challenges. And I would just get online, be on social media, and see all kinds of things flooding through my Facebook page or see friends um, and relatives, you know, running after different messages and different um, voices online. And I realized that there was just generally we don't have um, a clear grasp of what discernment is or why it's important. And so a lot of the burden that grew inside of me for this kind of conversation was just recognizing that we live in very complicated times and the need for wisdom is essential. I love um, from your introduction, Hannah, um, you talk about... um, how you're going to set up and talk about discernment in the book. And I'll just read a little quote. While, while we'll be led by, script, by the scripture, this book is not a systematic theology of discernment or a pastoral guide to discerning God's will for your life. Instead, I think of all that's good as a vision of what our lives might look like were we to be changed by wisdom. If we were to become people who know the difference between what's bad and what's good, what's good and what's better. As with the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, you'll find the content fluctuating between the rational and emotional, the pragmatic and quixotic, the specific and universal, all in an attempt to honor the multidimensional lives we live and the world in which we live them. And so, um, you know, we wanted to ask you, why you wrote this book. I think you, uh, this quote a little bit talks about wisdom and how how um, we need wisdom and how that's you know going to help us with discernment. But can you tell us a little bit more about why you wrote the book? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think one of the things I try to do in my introduction is help people know what they're reading and what they're not reading. Because I think so much of our frustration with books sometimes is we have one expectation of what the book is and then the Mm. author doesn't give us what we wanted it to be. And so we get frustrated. So I want to set readers up right from the beginning to say, this is not the systematic theology. This is not the biblical theology of discernment. Um, You know, this is not how to make decisions in three easy steps. This is more a vision of your life if you were to mature in your capacity um, to make good choices through biblical wisdom and to know the difference between good and bad. And one of the things I ran up to right away as I started studying how we think about discernment, how we talk about discernment, is that within the church, we tend to think of discernment as a negative 
as mm-hmm. if it's staying away from bad things. Um, you know, it's kind of a defensive posture. Sometimes we also uh, use the language of discernment as if we have a feeling or a sense about something that's kind of Gnostic. And when I was looking in the scripture and some of the key passages that use the language of discernment, a passage in Hebrews that talks about having your senses um, exercised to be able to discern the difference between good and evil. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about um, having our minds transformed to be able to discern what is the good and perfect will of God. And so in the scripture, the way um, it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. If you go to a completely Mm -hmm. different field of study, like culinary arts, or maybe, um, you know, paintings or any other field of appreciation or music or anything like that, and you talk about someone has a discerning eye or discerning palate or discerning ear, you're talking about the skill they have to be able to recognize goodness and to point out what is true and right and lovely about something. And so as I was thinking about that in our lives and as we're trying to develop lives that, um, you know, look like the wisdom that's embodied in Proverbs, right? If we were to become the wise person, if we were to become the the wise woman of Proverbs 31, what kinds of perspectives would we have on the world? How would we be changed so that we would have the skill um, to be able to identify goodness when we see it and by learning what goodness looks like to also then stay away from things that are not good. You know, you um, mentioned a little earlier social media and you mentioned it in the book also. And, you know, social media and the internet in general has brought so many good things. We've got so many wonderful resources at our fingertips, sermons and conferences and and even free books and blogs and so much good stuff. And podcasts. Yeah, podcasts. (laughs) Uh, But I think that there are some some negative too. And and how we think about discernment, I wonder if some of that has come from the internet where you have sometimes discernment blogs that seem like their primary purpose is criticizing other people and it becomes this, this negative thing. But I appreciate that in the book that you paint discernment as this is a good thing. It, it's something that is good. So can you just give us, just to kind of set the stage, a working definition of discernment? Discernment is the ability to know the difference between good and evil, to know the difference between whether something is good and reflects the character of a good God, um, or whether it is a distortion or it's Um, bad, that it doesn't reflect um, the goodness of God and the goodness he intended for us um, to experience in the world. And a lot of this, and what's so beautiful about how the scripture handles the idea of goodness, is that it's not this abstract category that exists. 
it is the character of God. So something is good if it aligns with who God is, if it aligns with his truth and his justice and his mercy and his faithfulness and all of these things that we know to be true about God. That's how we know something is good. And so when we're talking about discernment, then what we're really looking for is things people, organizations, experiences that draw our attention back to the goodness and the character of God. And so um, one of the passages that I really anchor the book in is Philippians 4, 8, and 9, where Paul um, gives us this, this set of virtues to um, to place our minds on, to think about. And he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, think on these things. And part of what Paul is doing in that passage, it's not just this checklist of this grid where if it passes all of these tests, then we can do it. But what he's trying to draw our attention to is that these things are essentially um, God's nature and God's character. And if we pursue what we are, when we pursue virtue, when we pursue goodness, we're ultimately looking for God and the work he's doing in this world. And so I think sometimes you're right that we get hung up on discernment as this idea of negativity or that we're calling out things or um, that we're always looking to be critical or cynical. Um, but truthfully, discernment and even the wisdom we see um, in Proverbs and the wisdom literature of the Old Testament is really designed for us to be able to safely navigate this world and to find the goodness of God in it. You know, you mentioned sort of calling out uh, bad. It makes me think of sort of our call out culture. You know, we're on Twitter and I know that you are too. And, you know, we engage in social media for our podcast. Um, it just makes me think about um, that there are actually a lot of wrong understandings out there about what discernment is. Can you talk about some of the wrong understandings mm -hmm. that people have uh, about what discernment is? Yeah. And I do think it is partly um, linked to this idea that I'm going to nitpick everything. I'm going to find, and, and I'm not talking about exercising doctrinal discernment or having insight or, or anything like that. I'm talking about that kind of critical spirit where nothing can make you happy. You know, like there's always right, a problem right. with something um, that there is this level or almost this learned habit of cynicism that mm. is always looking for the negative. Um, and so people will say, well, I'm just being discerning. And I'm like, no, you're just being critical, <laughs> you know, right. and there is a difference there. And I think the key difference to that is um, discernment seeks what is good. And as it is taking a positive trajectory, it's going to encounter things that don't measure up to goodness, but it's not going to get consumed and obsessed with finding badness. It's obsessed with finding goodness. And I think that's a very different trajectory and a, and a different frame um, that helps us understand how, yes, there are things that you do need to say, okay, that's not good. Um, but that's different than saying, well, that's bad and that's bad and that's bad and that's bad and that's bad. Um, it's a very different right. position. Um, I think sometimes we also think of discernment as kind of a sixth sense or a gut instinct where when we encounter a situation, we'll just feel a certain way about it. 
Um, and that's not the way scripture talks about discernment at all. It, it connects it more to the renewing of our minds that we have thought through a situation that we have taken the principles of scripture and they become so much a part of our mind and our thinking that we're able to evaluate something um, and not just to respond with instinct or emotion. Yeah, we've run into people that think that discernment is just a spiritual gift that some people have and others don't. Mm -hmm. Uh, Instead of saying that it is something that all of us as believers are called to and we know how we can be discerning by um, because we have the word of God mm, that tells yeah, us and, what and, is good. Right. right. And so that helps us develop a skill as opposed to saying, well, I didn't get that gift. Sorry, I'm off the hook. And I think sometimes too, we relegate it only to the world of doctrine. Mm-hmm. So we think that if what we're doing is I can point out a false teacher, then I'm being discerning. But um, I love how um, in your book, you use a lot of examples that are far outside the world of just simple doctrine. Right. Because it, in, it includes things like what relationships are we building into? How are we spending our time? Um, who are we listening to in, you know, even our entertainments or our politics or however we move through the world? Um, God is concerned with all of these things. Um, and if our doctrine is good and healthy and holistic, it will reach to these spaces in our life and it will make a difference in um, forming us to be people who think and act um, like Christ and have the mind of Christ. So it absolutely is this kind of more holistic question about how are you making choices in your life? Um, how are you navigating your daily um, things you choose to bring into your family, the way you choose to use your time? Because if you look at Proverbs, um, it is all based on the truth that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But then it goes into these very, very practical examples and applications of what fearing the Lord looks like in these very mundane spaces. It's it's no secret, I think, to any of us um, that are out there pursuing the study of God's Word and discernment that there often is a lack of discernment in Christian circles. Uh, you know, Angela and I see it quite often. We've We've been very sad, and in fact, to see women embracing things that are absolutely not biblical, and even theological things, but they don't know the Word of God well enough to discern what is what is good, what is bad. What are some obstacles that we should be aware of to our pursuing of discernment? Well, the first thing that I ran into when I was studying and writing was exactly what I mentioned um, a few minutes ago, that Proverbs says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Um, and if we're going to become wise people who can be even hope to become discerning, it begins with a kind of humility that humbles ourselves before the Lord and says, number one, I don't know everything. And my initial instinct mm-hmm. or my initial response is probably not the right one. And I I think what I've been impressed by and saddened by, especially on social media, is just this swiftness and this certainty and this self-assuredness that we respond Mm. to each other with that I know what is true. I know what this is. I'm okay. Don't you dare tell me I'm not okay. And um, so I think 
a huge hurdle to us becoming discerning people is that we simply don't believe we have anything to learn. We are confident in our opinions. We are confident the way we see the world is the right way. And so right from the beginning in Proverbs, God kind of cuts us off at the knees and says, if you're going to learn anything, you're going to have to start with recognizing how much you don't know and that you are not God and you are not all wise and you are not omniscient and that you are really in a place of dependency. Um, And only from there, will you have a need for the scripture only when you're in a place to say, I don't know what the answer is. Will you even begin to seek God and ask for his wisdom through the scripture and through the Holy Spirit's leading? Right. That really makes me think of the second half of the verse you've already quoted. Um, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So not only do we need the fear of the Lord um, to be able to pursue discernment, but if we're unwilling to humble ourselves and realize that we do need correction, then Proverbs tells us you're a fool. Mm -hmm. And I see that, you know, as a baseline, we have to humble ourselves before God. But that humility also will extend to learning from other people who know more than we do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think one of the things we see in the digital age is this kind of flattening of expertise where everyone is an expert. Everyone knows everything about everything, right? So there is no sense where your pastor might know more than you do. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because right. you know, he, he, this is his career, he's been trained, or he's been under the mentorship of other godly men. And so we all are experts anymore, and we won't humble ourselves before each other. Um, and what that ends up doing on a very practical level is we lose um, an avenue of wisdom. We lose a the avenue of grace that God has given us, whether it's older women in the church, whether it's our um, pastoral leadership, whether it's even just people who have more experience in a certain field than we do. If we can't humble ourselves before each other, we're going to miss out on their expertise and what they can give us and help us um, with. And And I think that's a key point where it is humility before the Lord Um, But it's also learning the humility for each other, too. Mm. Well, you know, you're talking about um, humility um, as a first step to being able to gain the wisdom. Talk a little bit, if you will, about how wisdom and discernment are connected. Mm. Well, the way the scripture talks about wisdom, um, you know, if, if you know your scripture you kind of, your mind probably goes to the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, Proverbs, Psalms, um, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, um, Job. And then in the New Testament, we think of Christ as Logos or the, the wisdom of God incarnate. And essentially what both Christ, I mean, he's the fulfillment of wisdom literature of the Old Testament, right? What he is showing us is life as it was meant to be lived. This is what it means to be fully human. This is what it means to be able to navigate the world in humility before God, to um, 
honor him the way we were created to honor him, to, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to live the human life as God intended for us to live it. And then ultimately on the cross, he redeems us and through the resurrection, he empowers that transformation um, in our lives. So wisdom is not this. It is not self-help. Okay. Wisdom is not just learn some tips and you'll be able to have a better life. The way the scripture speaks about wisdom is this fundamental transformation. Um, And Romans 12 talks about this with discerning God's good and perfect will. You're, You're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there is something happening to you whereby you move from a place of foolishness to wisdom and that's how proverbs kind of describes it um Mm. this this movement toward wisdom we talk about it maybe as sanctification we talk about it as having the mind of christ we talk about having our minds um transformed but it's all the same um it's essentially the same movement through scripture where we are being brought from a place of immaturity foolishness sinfulness through redemption, into a place of living and acting the way Christ acted when he embodied the Logos of God here on earth. So that's the the scriptural concept of wisdom. When we start talking about discernment, it is an application of that wisdom. So if you are being transformed, if you are having your mind renewed by the scripture, if you are beginning to live this embodied life of wisdom um, by spiritual growth, how would you go about making your decisions? What would you look like? And I think that's what's so fascinating about the passage in Philippians 4. Paul is saying, well, you're going to look a lot like God. (laughs) You're going to be concerning yourself and filling your minds with the kinds of things and virtues that reflect the nature of God, because that is the embodiment of goodness. And as you seek those good things, you're going to develop, it's, it's actually going to change what you long for. It's going to be this process of spiritual formation and shifting you away from these more foolish, immature desires to cultivating a heart that longs to see God in this world and to be made like him. You know, you're talking a lot about moving from foolishness to wisdom, being transformed, and um, how humility plays a role in that. And it just makes me wonder, Your previous one of your previous books is about humility And I'm wondering if writing that book was somehow a catalyst for you to move into this book about discernment. It it absolutely was. And and you're, um, you know, sharp to pick up on that because I, I would say as I was writing humility, the book on humility, humble roots, I was, I was playing out what it would look like to be humble in many different facets of our life. What would Mm -hmm. it look like if you were a humble person in your work? What would it look like if you Mm -hmm. grasped humility in your emotions or in your relationships? And one of the chapters that um, I kind of played with, how would humility change your mind? Um, Mm -hmm. And it was kind of enough of a taste to say, oh, wait, there's something more here. Um, that the process of spiritual formation and and spiritual growth is going to affect how we actually think about things. 
things. It's going to actually change not just the conclusions we reach, but how we go about reaching those conclusions. And so that did kind of propel me um, toward this this conversation about discernment. Um, and I think it began in root form there in that chapter. So I, I appreciate that you talk about wisdom and humility in discussing discernment because wisdom is something I've really been studying the last few years. And, and I really think if you don't include the wisdom and the humility with discernment, it's not really discernment. Mm-hmm. But can you just talk a little bit more? And I had thought the same thing Angela said, that your book on humility is probably a good introduction to this book. But can you talk a little bit more why humility is so important um, in our pursuing of discernment? Well, I think it really, you have to understand all's well what humility is. And that was one of the things I, I struggled to kind of correct in Humble Roots is I think just as much as we have false definitions of discernment, we have false definitions of humility. And so we sometimes think of humility as um, self-deprecation or maybe resisting praise or kind of hanging back and being quiet. But um the way scripture reveals humility is an embrace and an acknowledgement of our limits. Um, it is an, a right understanding of who we are and who God is and not to confuse the two, <laughs> to, to recognize that we are created, limited beings who are designed to reflect his glory, but who are created limited beings and we are not transcendent like he is. And that's what makes him God. Um, So humility is a right understanding of our limits. And when we transfer that to the conversation about humility of mind, it's things like the scripture saying that God says, your thoughts are not my thoughts. And it's how Paul talks about in the New Testament about the foolishness of God and or how the, the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God and how the way that God thinks and the way that he has designed the world to operate doesn't necessarily make sense to our limited minds. And so part of embracing humility is understanding the limits of our rational minds. And I think this is especially important um, because while there is this pendulum swing from, you know, we, we talked about the fact that some people will just kind of feel their way through a decision and they won't think about it and they'll just, well, I feel this way or I just, I just am sensing this is what I should do. So on the one hand, we have this kind of anti-rational impulse where people resist thinking, we also can have the pendulum swing all the way to the other side where we are so reliant on our logic or our rational thought that we put our faith in that, that we put our faith in our minds. And we have convinced ourselves that we, you know, if we can just um, think through something or we can just think our way to faith and, and what we really have to come face to face with is that 
our minds do not operate the way God's mind does. And there are things that he does and the way he works in the world that are so far beyond us um, that the very first thing we must do is acknowledge the limits of them, not just the natural human limits, but how sin distorts our thinking and how living under um, not only the curse at large, but our own personal sinfulness and our mixed motives and our jealousies and our anger and how all of those things will disrupt and harm our capacity to think well. Um, So really what humility does is it just kind of pulls us up short when we come to questions of our our thought life and wisdom and discernment. And it kind of reminds us that left to ourselves, we really can't think our way to truth, that we need an outside revelation, right? We need the God of who is transcendent to come down to us and reveal himself through his word and through his son. Um, And if you don't have that baseline of humility, then you're also not going to be in a place to receive the instruction that he offers us. Right. So what is it that's motivating your discernment? Is it true love for God and pursuing of wisdom and and humility? I know having uh, four sons that are 16, 18, 20, and 22, when they were probably a little bit younger teenagers, they would sometimes uh, tease each other but but I think they were on to something when they would say, that's a humble brag. You know, you're acting like you're humble, but you're really doing it. You know, I want some credit for my humility over here, which is right. not really humility. So I, I'm glad that you talk about even some of those wrong views of of humility, like being more quiet or being self-deprecating, where that's not necessarily what humility is. And we recommend people also check out your book on humility. And I think a a parallel um, ditch that we can fall into is where we begin to believe that not making a judgment on something is a form of humility, where we say, well, I just can't know, or I just can't um, pass judgment on something that's in front of me. And and we will see that as kind of humility, but that can be a false humility where it's like, no, scripture's pretty clear about this one, you know? This is something we can say, this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is bad. And sometimes we will try to use humility as a shield from having to come down on a hard decision. Um, But it's interesting how we can take these good things that God has given us for our good and still find a way to corrupt them. You know, talking about good things that God has given us for our good, you said earlier in our conversation that, uh, you know, a lot of times people think of discernment as as pointing out bad, but really it's finding um, the good, seeing the difference between um, good and better. And I loved how the second half of your book, you really focus in on Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Um, and that list of good things that we're to be focusing on. Um, Can you talk a little bit about why you used this passage in the book and uh, how that passage relates to our approach of discernment? Well, part of the reason it kind of stuck with me is because of the surrounding context. And I don't know that I dealt with this as directly in the book, but it's fascinating that the context of uh, Philippians 4, 8, and 9 is Paul appealing to the believers not to be anxious, not to be overwhelmed. 
and to take their cares um, to God. And, and if there's anything that marks the digital age, right, it's this anxiety. It's this sense of not knowing what's going on in the world. And it almost seems as if to Paul, he's calming them down. He's pointing them back to God, telling them to take their anxiety and their cares to him um, in prayer. But then he also has this kind of practical component to it. And it's like, okay, now that I've got you calmed down, let's think about how you need to move through this world. And the way you need to move through this world um, is by seeking, have your eyes directed and your ears tuned into whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and whatever is commendable. And it's almost as if he's giving them um, things to look for, okay, you know, kind of guides as you're moving through the world it's going to be so easy to be distracted by everything that's happening around you and to be overwhelmed by it so if you keep your eyes focused on these things and you keep your thought process focused on these things um, it's going to give you more clarity and again as i mentioned um, these things are the character of god they are um, virtues that um, are reflect that reflect his nature. And so for me, it was more about developing a clear headedness in a world that's very noisy and chaotic and often anxiety inducing. And so this passage seemed to be a very manageable, clear um, way of building the skill of discernment um, to say, okay, well, let's get into the practical. What are you going to be looking for? What kinds of things are going to help you maintain a clear-headedness in the midst of this chaos? And I'll just read a quote um, from the book that talks about this. Um, the various virtues Paul gives us in Philippians are principles to help us figure out whether something is good. Because we will encounter so many different things in this life, we can't rely on lists or specific boundaries. We can't say, do this or don't do that. There are simply too many opportunities, too many unique situations, and too many sparkly owl pencil cases in the world. So instead, these virtues act as a type of shorthand, principles we can apply to whatever life may bring. And as we apply these principles, they develop our taste for goodness, simultaneously guiding and shaping us. And I just really appreciated how you brought out the idea of having good taste and developing good mm -hmm. taste the way that, uh, you know, because that's more of a skill. I, it's what you're saying in this quote that it's, it's uh, more of a, it's like that old saying that um, if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, he eats for a lifetime. It's developing a skill as opposed to just um, that mindless, do this, don't do that um, list of do's and don'ts. Absolutely. And I think we have often opted for the list as a shortcut to um, get us to the most, you know, get the most direct route to get to where we think we need to be. But what we end up doing is we undermine the growth process mm. and we undermine um, helping people learn how to make decisions on their own when they don't have the list with them or when they encounter something that doesn't fit the list. Um, and I didn't realize this until after I was done. And I don't know, maybe this is kind of my absent-minded professor personality, but after I was finished, I had 
written this book, included all these illustrations from my family life. I dedicated it to my children, and I realized I was writing a book to help my children grow from their youthfulness to wisdom. And one of the things that I want for them is that when they are no longer in my home, that they will have the wisdom to make good decisions, even when I'm not standing there. But to get to that point, I can't rely on rules now. Now we have rules, we have house rules and we have expectations, but we're also in this process of teaching them why the rule exists, what is the larger issue in play? What are the kinds of things they should be seeking? Why, um, you know, this would be a good decision. This would not be a good decision. And so we are trying to give them principles that will then be able to be transferred when they encounter a decision that I can't make a rule for. Um, so I, I think that is so important to recognize that life is just too complicated for us to try to rely on lists. You know, you talked about your children, and that's one reason why I've really been studying wisdom and trying to teach my children, especially as they're getting older and, and leaving the house. And I mentioned on another episode, and I think it was our episode on on the internet and how we behave on the internet. But it's, I have four sons. And so you can imagine, especially in the teenage years where they sometimes would, one of them especially, who tends to be the jokester, would say something that he knew would upset his younger brother. And I'd say, you know, you shouldn't have said that. And he'd say, but it's true. And mm -hmm. I'd say, but, but was it wise to say that? Was mm -hmm. it fruitful to say that? You know, and I taught them to ask themselves, themselves some of these questions because sometimes even though something is true it's not necessarily wise to say it and I think mm -hmm. especially as parents um, a lot of these you really think about these things as you're training your children that kind of brings uh, up my next question I think that when we think of discernment we we can think a lot about discernment being in what doctrines that we embrace, what things we believe, and it is, it is that. But I'd like you to talk about how discernment is practical to our Christian faith and practice. One way that um, it makes a practical difference in my life is one thing is that I am learning to check myself. Um, so it's one thing to take these virtues that are in Philippians 4, 8 and like apply them to everyone else and everything else outside of us. But I'm realizing that we have to come under evaluation too. And so as I'm moving through my life, my responses, my choices, my choice to post something, my choice to say something, my choice to um, engage in a certain activity, I'm testing my own motivations. Like you said with your son. Okay this is true, but is it lovely? You know, I may be able to say this truthfully, um, but is it honoring the other person? Um, does it uh, promote the kind of conversations that need to be promoted? And so my own motives are coming under scrutiny. And I've found that that checks me and it makes me stop long enough to evaluate, am I being a discerning person, even in my choice to say something or do something? Am I reflecting wisdom internally? Um, another way that discernment has a practical effect in my life and on our family's life is I'm learning to choose um, the difference between 
what is good and okay and and what is better and best and that doesn't mean um necessarily that you reject something because it's not good enough or you're looking for the perfect solution or the perfect opportunity but it does mean that when you're evaluating um opportunities that come into your life you're also recognizing that that God is a God of abundance he is a God who gives good gifts and you don't have to to feel this desperation that you have to do everything in front of you you can be somewhat you know if i use this word correctly you can be selective you can be a little bit picky with what you choose to bring into your life because everything you bring into your life comes at a cost um whether it's a cost of time energy resources um you know there is this kind of exchange that happens when we bring something into our lives like um enrolling our kids in activities choosing to take on a new ministry it could be a really really good thing but there's another question underneath it is is this a good thing for me for my family at this moment is this something god is leading us to and that requires wisdom and discernment at a very personal level to know the work that God is doing in you and in your life at that time and so learning to stop long enough to ask those questions to evaluate not only does it meet the standards of goodness but is this something that God is definitely saying you need to bring this into your life or is this something i can pass on and i can pass because i know that god is a god of abundance and i don't have this kind of hoarding scarcity mentality that i have to get every good thing that possibly comes my way because i'm going to miss some kind of goodness we're not going to miss goodness we're not going to miss the goodness of god and so with that certainty we can have um we can be more selective you know we're talking right now about how discernment um, helps us in our life practically. And I really like um, in your last chapter in the book, you you talk about um, how discernment helps us in the body, um, not just individually. And there was um, a part that um, I really appreciated. Let me read a small quote. What happens when a community can't receive dissenting opinions? At the very least, it won't benefit from those with the gift of discernment. And because of the pressure to conform, those with the gift might be tempted to remain silent about the danger they see. But in the silence, the community risks coming under the control of false manipulative leaders while those who do have insight from God are ignored. And um, I really appreciated this section um, as a person um, who does have discernment and, um, you know, Colleen and I do, um, episodes that are about discernment on certain doctrines or different books. And, you know, sometimes we do get negative feedback, um, about, uh, what we do to try to help, um, others be discerning. And it does feel sometimes like this quote, um, it makes, sometimes it makes me wonder, oh, should, should we just not talk about this? Um, but it is encouraging here that um, you're talking about the body really does need this gift and um, we do need to speak up. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and while all of us as Christian are called to cultivate discernment and to be transformed, to to think as Christ thinks, to think as the Scripture thinks, um, the Scripture also seems to have this category in the New Testament of people who have um, additional discernment or additional insight that the Holy Spirit has gifted them with clarity. Um, about discerning between messages that are from God and messages that are not from God. Um, And it speaks about this in the list uh, of other gifts. Um, And so there does seem to be this role that God has for some people in the body to be able to speak up and to bring clarity to a confusing situation or to to be able to point out where this is good and this may not be good. And the difficulty that I often see with we try to employ this gift um, is that we, we can struggle to use it because it's not always well received. Um, it is hard to be the person who feels like you're the rain on the parade. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, everybody loves this thing. Um, and yet mm, there's this, oh, this part's not good. And and there's kind of a, a hesitancy and you know it comes at a price to say it. And so it can be very tempting not to say it. But if you don't, what we risk is that the body would be swept along um, by false things. Um, And so there is this tension as well, though, that because we have clarity, or maybe there's an insight that um, we can perceive that no one else seems to see at that moment, but but we have this sense that, yes, I see based on this scripture, based on the Holy Spirit's leading, I, I really think I need to add this word to the conversation. But we can struggle if we forget that it is for the good of the body. It's not just to be heard or just to be right or just to have some hot take. It is for the healing and for the unity of the body so that the body would be made whole. And I think that's one of the tensions that we really struggle with, especially for folks who might be gifted this way, that the purpose of all of the gifts that God gives his church is for the healing and the wholeness of the body and that his word and his mission would go forward. And sometimes we can get kind of hung up on just needing to be heard um, or just needing to point out something. And um, what we're really trying to do in speaking truth, in in speaking um, about the goodness or the danger of something is really to warn um, the body so that we can be unified. Hannah, we really appreciate you joining us. Other than your books, where else can people find you? Um, I have a website that is well neglected, but it does have a lot of my other writing. And that's sometimesalight.com. And there's um, several links to other places that I write. I'm also on Twitter at Sometimes a Light, and I'm on um, Instagram occasionally at Hannah um, Anderson. And we're going to link all of those places in our episode notes and then links to all of your books. Thank you so much for joining us, Hannah. Thank you, Colleen.